0: Uh, to Isaiah chapter 50. I appreciate Tim and the prayer uh, of asking the Lord to help us take this ancient book, these words, and he so often communicates that idea to us as he teaches and preaches that we are blessed to have been given this kind act by God, the words that only he can give us of truth and uh, that our contemporary ears would hear it today. For we certainly uh, are in need of truth, and there is no greater truth than what we have provided for us in the scriptures. And I trust that God has already been preparing your hearts and your minds for the message today. As I prepare, I pray for that. As I preach, I anticipate that. And as we study together today, I trust that we will experience that which only God can perform in our life through his spirit, the one who has given us his word and applies his word and empowers us through his word today. In Isaiah chapter 50, let's begin and we'll read this uh, piece by piece, but let's read together first the first three verses. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 1. Thus says the Lord God, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce? with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities were you sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? behold by my rebuke i dry up the sea i make the rivers a desert their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst i clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering these first three verses introduce us to this chapter in a way that causes us to think man that's 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 pretty harsh it's not a bright, rosy picture. As we woke up today and saw the sun shining and, and we enjoy after a long, miserable, cold, wet winter and we, every day we see the sun rising, we are, we're grateful for that and, and we see this. But that's not the picture that we see laid out for us here in this 50th chapter of Isaiah. It reminds us that just as this picture was being painted of a people of God... In their sin that we also live in a dark, miserable world, in spite of how bright the sun shines today. It's full of miserable people. We have hashtags and protests and scandals to remind us of just how miserable it is. And although many of us have grown up in a generation that was taught that deliberation in all sorts of manners of living, would bring us true happiness and peace. We found that all of that does is bring us more misery. The suicide rate is higher than it's ever been. In the last few weeks, we have been reminded through some high-profile individuals who took their own life, sadly, that what this world has to offer, it's darkness, is no solution for what the soul requires. And while life in a sinful world has more than enough sources for us to feel that pain and to feel discomforted, such as sickness and death, whether it be mental or emotional anguish, or many other types of things, there is nothing more telling of our misery of this dark world than our own sin personal or corporate sin is as potent as any in this dark world and here in Isaiah chapter 50 as we have been making our way through this book of prophecy hopefully you already have the context in mind that Isaiah has been called by God to speak to his people with a message of both warning and judgment as well as blessing and promise however he's speaking to a people who are in the midst of a crumbling kingdom some of their people that being the ten northern tribes have already been taken away into captivity the two southern tribes are awaiting that same fate because of their sin but yet they're, they're, they're Still remaining there in the land, wondering when this day is coming, wondering why things are going so poorly. Kings have tried to buy off their enemies through even the sacred elements of the temple. They have tried to make alliances with other nations to provide protection for them, but yet they still find themselves in this dark, miserable world awaiting judgment. So here in verse 1, the Lord confronts them. Exactly where they're at. And he asked them the question uh, that's twofold, both of which are very interesting, I think. The first question is, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Now, it's interesting to me because it's only because, as Jesus puts it, out of the stubbornness of their own heart did Moses even give them the option of divorce. And it's in their own evil and their own wickedness and their own stubbornness that God provides for them through Moses this way out, if you will. And as part of the nation of Israel has already been taken away and the other awaits that same fate, he asks them a question. Where is the certificate of divorce? Why are they gone? Why are you miserably awaiting the same fate? He asks them a different question. Of which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? But again, if you think about the, the progress of Abraham's lineage, and you think about what happened, whether it be through Joseph being sold into slavery, or themselves as God's people being, spending centuries in slavery in Egypt, or even if you to look at their more contemporary situations in which they've tried to buy off their enemies... God says, Of which of my creditors have I sold you to? Now, these are rhetorical questions, but God gives them a very clear answer, in which He says, It's because of your iniquities were you sold. It's because of your transgressions was your mother sent away. And He goes on to say in verse 2 Why, when I came, was there no man? When I, why, when I called, was there no one to answer? And this most likely has an indication about the man being someone who, who, who would, would answer for the people. In other words, the priests. Where were they? Well, we know that the priests were just as wicked and godly as the rest of the people. That's the reason why the people were wicked and godly, because they had been led astray through the poor leadership of the priesthood. We also know that they were not listening to when the prophet was sent to them to change their heart. And so God asked them this question. Where was the person answering when I came to visit? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Do I not have power to deliver? These are scolding questions. This is not... God, Jehovah, reigning over his people and finding them in miserable discontent in their lives and saying, Oh, poor poor folks. Y'all, man, y'all are awful shape. Uh, What what can I do for y'all? No, he confronts them. Why is it that you're miserable? Why is it that you're about to be taken into captivity like the others? It's because of your sin. Where were the people, when I was speaking, where were they, were they listening? Was it because they didn't trust me? Is it because they didn't realize that I had power to deliver and to redeem? And he, and he tells them, look around. I have dried up the sea to be like a desert so that the very elements in that sea that depend on the water to live stink because they're dead. He wanted to remind them exactly who was in control. He wanted to remind them exactly why they were there. In this last statement he gives in verse 3, I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. And they look around, and, figuratively speaking, and wonder why things were so dark. It's because God had draped over their existence this cloth. And it wasn't lace. It wasn't a nice floral fabric. it was sackcloth. Sackcloth being that which represented the uncomfortable garment that you put on when you were repentant and sorrowful for your sins and you were looking to God to restore. So God's confrontation to his people was challenging the things that we've already looked at that that as we looked at a few weeks ago, Leviticus chapter 26 made it really clear that God promised them beforehand, centuries earlier, that if you keep on disobeying me and you keep on disobeying me after that, and then after that you keep on disobeying me, guess what's going to happen? Now I'm promising you this. If, if you just simply obey me, that. But no wonder where they as is Isaiah records on their behalf in chapter 40 verse 27 that they felt their way was hidden from the Lord and that their right was disregarded by their God. Well, from chapter 49 verse 14 that the Lord had forsaken them altogether. But their misery was of their own doing. But God in his sovereign hand was confronting them to show them the reality of why. But thankfully, Isaiah 50 has more than three verses. Thankfully, God's grace is revealed to us simultaneously as we see his need and his requirement for judgment. For we read in verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who were taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hide not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment, the moth will eat them up. And you say, well, why is such a contrast in verbiage here? What, from, it seems It's a completely different voice. And you'd be right to say so. The first three verses are from Jehovah God who is speaking and confronting his people about their sin. The next verses that we just read together, verses four through nine, come from the servant. This is the third of what some would call four servant songs found here in this portion of Isaiah. The servant, while the Jews would consider themselves the servant of God, and there are passages of Scripture that would indicate that Israel was his servant, there is also, within this context, reason to believe that there is no way that Israel could be the servant. Just read the first three verses. So we have here the servant speaking again. And what the servant has to say reveals much about not only who he is, but what he will accomplish in his life. So let's look in verses 4 and 5. This first thing about the servant we see is that he is endowed with the ability to sustain the weary with just a word. It says there in verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. You see, the servant is saying that he has been given, he has uh, been provided for wisdom to be able to speak. As someone who has prepared and has gone through training and has had the educational experiences to teach him how to speak well, effectively, sufficiently, he needs no teaching. It was granted to him, it was disclosed to him. And so, when we think about what the servant is saying, that he is saying that he is distinguished from all others and that he is being able to give the word in such a way that's able to sustain the weary one. The people of God at this point would certainly recognize themselves as being weary. Perhaps not so ready to say that they were the reasons for being weary, but they would understand that they were weary. But the servant is calling out to them saying, I've been given the ability to speak. But when we look at Jesus Christ's life, we certainly see how that is fulfilled. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29 say, And when Jesus finished these things that when he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And they were astonished at his teaching. Matthew goes on to record in chapter 13 when Jesus had finished these parables. He went away from there and coming to his hometown he taught them in their synagogue. And they were astonished and said where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Where did he get these words? How did he learn to talk like this? And these are words that will provide strength to the weary one. We have to go no further than Luke chapter 6. When Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundations on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. You see, Jesus, the servant in Isaiah 54, who says, I have been given a tongue as those who were taught, is able to speak words that will provide stability to our life. Not in a general sort of way, God's going to help you build your house sort of way, but in a way in which your salvation is dependent upon. Jesus says, whoever hears my words and does them, he's the one who's like a person who builds a house upon a rock. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How weary do you need to be that that promise is not a solace for your soul? Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses uh, and forfeits himself? for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and glory of the father of the holy angels not like the words that we were reading in our responsive reading today were the words of delay words of more priorities but Jesus says if you're ashamed of my words I will be ashamed of you. You see, Jesus' words are powerful. Jesus' words were were given to him by the Lord God, which in this passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 50, the Lord God, this title was used four different times in just that section. And it's almost, while it's two different words, it's almost a redundancy in speaking about the sovereign, sovereign Lord over everything. Now this is a sovereign, sovereign Lord that has been able to provide the servant with the ability to sustain the weary with the words of instruction. But this is not the only thing we see about the servant. We see that the, su- the servant suffered willingly the shame that came from obedience. Similar to what we learned in our Bible class this morning with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was suffering, but it wasn't because he was doing something wrong. The Apostle Paul was suffering, and gladly so, because he was being obedient. The servant says in verse 6 of chapter 50, I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I had not my face from disgrace and spitting. It reminds us of what we read in Matthew chapter 26, does it not? Maybe you weren't thinking about that particular passage, but it went through your head. Then they spit on his face and struck him. They slapped him, and having scourged, Jesus delivered him up to be crucified. Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that Jesus suffered for other sins. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is what Jesus Christ endured, but it wasn't for his own sin. It was because of the sins of others. The servant here in chapter 50 is saying, not only have I been given the ability to teach and give you words that will comfort you, but I've suffered not because of my own sin, but for the sins that we were talking about in verses 1 through 3. Their iniquities, their transgressions. But he was willing to do it. He didn't turn his back. He says in verse 5, The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. He heard what the Father commanded him to do and he said yes. Not reluctantly. Not simply out of duty because, well, after all, he's just a second person of Godhead. But he did it because of his love for the Father but also for his love for his people. A transcending love that we cannot even listening to a song thinking about oh what wondrous love is this oh my soul we cannot fathom the love that caused our savior the servant to suffer the shame that came from obedience but he did so not only just willingly as an obedient servant But he also had the confidence that he and he trusted in the Lord God's vindication. There in verse eight and nine. Well, at the end of verse seven, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. And he goes on to ask, "Who's going to contend with me? Who is my adversary?" He calls to those who would actually accuse him. He said, let's stand up together. Come and confront me. Just as the Father has confronted his people in the first three verses, if someone was to to confront me in my act of obedience, let's stand up together. Let him come near to me, who is my adversary. Why was he so confident? Well, number one was because he knew that the Lord was near not simply near in a physical sense, but near in an agreement with what he was doing. Those who we pray for regularly, usually in other parts of the world than what we live in, that suffer. We're not near to them, but we draw near to them as we agree in what they are called to do. But more importantly, their God is near to them. Even though it looks like it, that they're paying for, you know, I like the way Courtney brought it out in her lesson today, you know, people could have looked at Paul and said, well, the reason why he's in prison is because he's done something wrong. He, he, God's judging him. Right? And how easy it is for us to, to look at someone who is suffering and to say, what did they do wrong? But the Scriptures... Tell us over and over, give this example over and over again about those who were obedient, including the suffering servant here that was suffering because of their obedience. But the Lord is near them. It may seem like He's gazillion miles away. And for all practical purposes, physically speaking, He is. But in spirit and in agreement with what God is doing, He is very near. And so the servant was able to suffer in obedience, knowing that the Lord God would vindicate him. Remember what Peter tells us in his first letter in chapter 2. When he was reviled, speaking of Jesus Christ, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, just as we celebrated through the Lord's Supper this morning. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. But he was entrusting himself to the one who's judging justly. Which is a reminder to us, again, to look at your present circumstances and not draw conclusions about what did I do wrong? Or Wait a minute, I thought I was doing the right thing and things aren't working the way I, I want. That we commit our life completely, not just moment today, but our whole lives completely to the one who judges justly. For I believe Jesus had in mind what, he, what would be inspired by the apostle, to the apostle Paul to write for us in Philippians chapter 2. Speaking of himself, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ knew there would be a day of exaltation, Therefore he was willing to humble himself even to the point of death on a cross. He knew that the Lord God would vindicate him. He knew that his obedience would bring glory to God the Father. Again, for the Jew who considered himself or herself the servant of God, these things are not so. These things are only true of our savior Jesus Christ. But we also see with this passage of scripture not only who the servant was but it brings us to a point of an ultimate question today. Verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Notice a change here? Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of His servant, the one who is just speaking? Who among you hears Heavenly Father speaking through His Son, Jesus Christ, and obeys that voice? This is a question that all of us must be confronted with wherever we live, whenever we live there, and whomever is around first approach to this question, let him who walks in darkness and has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. You see, we're reminded in, in the scriptures that we live in a dark sinful world, but our whole existence is dark. Ephesians chapter 6 you see the life of a believer prior to Christ is described as darkness but because of what Second Peter chapter 1 reminds us we have a the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart it's a dark world And Isaiah asks, let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. I ask you this morning, regardless of how many times I've seen you here at this church, much less any other church that you may have grown up in or participated in or been a member of, has there been a time in which you've seen yourself in darkness having no light and you trusted in the name of the Lord and relied on that God. Relied on Him for what? For everything that you can't do, including being righteous. That is what brings upon the wrath of God. That is what Paul was speaking about. These things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So I ask you today, if you were in the middle of the Amazon jungle, which I've never been, but I've heard stories. My father was on a couple of missionary trips near the, near the Amazon River, but was never quite there. But at night, particularly if you were in the, in, the, in the forest, where the illuminated stars and moon was not able to shine upon you, it was completely dark. If you were there, what would your temptation be? Anybody got a flashlight? Anybody got a a match? Candle? Because we're fooled by what we often see, at least from my perspective, what we've been made to think from television or movies, that when you're in a really dark place and you pull out a flashlight or you know, light a torch all of a sudden the whole world brightens up and I mean you can see everything that's on the walls in the cave or you can see all the things that are in the trees in the jungle or you can see everything in front, all because you just struck that one light well this is what Isaiah has to say about that behold all you who kindle a fire those of you who are, in, who are walking in darkness and have no light and you kindle a fire who equip yourself with burning torches Walk by the light of your fire and the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Now for me, I'm sort of a get just down to the bottom line. Don't give me all the details. Just Just get to the point. Isaiah gets there faster than I could ever think about it. For he says, you go ahead and do that. You go ahead and walk by your own torch. You go ahead and try to light your way in this dark world. The end result? You will lie down in torment. If you're here this morning or if you know someone else that's trying to go through this dark world, first of all, trying to deceive himself, well, it's really not that dark. I mean, at least we're not like the Dark Ages, where people couldn't read and, and people didn't have you know cell phones and, and that sort of. I and mean, it's not like it's dark like that. Or what we watch on television is really not that dark. The things that we read is really not that dark. Relatively speaking, I mean, we, we're doing pretty good compared to some. I mean, you look at some other civilizations in time that have already been you know passed. We're we're not nearly that dark. To a blind man, it doesn't really matter how strong the dimmer switch is on, does it? does it really matter how cloudy it is outside. To the blind man, dark is dark. You can try to redefine it. You can try to compare it to something that's not really worthy of comparison, but it doesn't change that you're walking in darkness. And it doesn't change the fact that if you do not come out of that darkness you will lie down in torment to the people of Israel who were living in a miserable dark world they had trouble understanding that they were just simply living within the circumstances of their own making God confronts them The servant speaks up saying, that's the reality, but I come with a word that can give you relief. I've suffered so that God's righteousness can be appeased. And I provide for you the light that will help you in the midst of your darkness. So what will we do today? Will we rely and depend upon the Lord? Or will we seek to equip ourselves with light that will be insufficient for the task? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'd like for you just to consider today the darkness upon which you find yourself. And consider just how much are you relying on on God you may be here as a believer saying yes I've trusted in the completed work of Jesus Christ I know that he has atoned for my sins I know that by faith that has been provided by his grace I'm his child but perhaps you're trying to walk according to your own light today. I would consider, I would ask you to consider that seriously. I would ask you to consider today, perhaps you think that you're walking in the light, but it's just your own torch. A torch of your own making. A torch that's lit up by your own works of righteousness. Your own good deeds. Perhaps your education or your family background or your heritage perhaps it's you see that there's problems in this world and you've done your part to help and so certainly there's some amount of light in that but even in that in your self-righteous works if left to that you would find yourself lying in torment I would ask you today to consider the servant who is obedient on our behalf.